Welcome to First Importance, the official podcast of the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and encouraged today by this message. If you have your Bibles, would you join me in Acts chapter 20? Acts chapter 20, looking today at verses 17 through 38. The first time that I preached this message was six years ago to the very date, to the very moment, from the very location that I was when I first preached this sermon to you. It wasn't the first time that I had preached at First Baptist Church of West Memphis, although this day was distinct and different from all the others. As six years ago today, I came in view of call to be your pastor. Now, in all fairness, so I was trying to rush through that to avoid that part. But in all fairness, I attempted to preach the sermon. I attempted to preach the sermon. I classify the preaching of that sermon into three distinct parts. There was the first part of the sermon, which was filled with confidence, and then there happened to be an incident in the sanctuary. And then there was the second third of the message that had less confidence and a little apprehension, but still wanting to proclaim the word. And then there was a second incident And then the third part of the sermon, I consider that I trudged through it by God's grace and finished it by God's mercy. This day for this church, I'm sure, may be forever a day that lives in infamy. But for me and my family, we will regard this date as an act of God's gracious providence and love in our lives. And we are so thankful to be here at First Baptist Church of West Memphis. I attempted to preach this sermon six years ago. And as I began to prepare for that message, my plan was to make it a bookend message as I prayed over it. I wanted it to be something that I could preach that would be my first sermon that one day, many, many years from then, would be my last sermon. And although we are revisiting it today, my prayer is that I will be here for many, many years. Although, who knows, I could walk out of uh, this church and, uh, and be struck there on Missouri Street or whatever. The, I don't plan on crossing Missouri Street today. but <laughs> My plan was to make it a bookend type of message. And this week, in preparation for this Sunday, I went back and I reviewed the outline or a manuscript, what I typically have, the manuscript of that message. The manuscript written by that young, uh, clean-shaven, not, let's not call him in shape, but we'll say in better shape young man so many years ago. And I began to read through the message, and I began to weep. You know, uh, today is not about me, and nor was that day. It's not even necessarily about us. It's about God's church and how we interact with one another. But as I began to read over the message, I began to see so many ways in which, I mean, I may have had some successes in these areas over the last six years, and I no doubt you've had many, but 
I began to see all those many areas in which I need personal growth and we need church growth together. It was a, a, a convicting time for me in my study and also a reminder of the one who is perfect and does all things right, and the one that we're always looking up to and, and pointing all those to. And so today, whether you have been a member of this church for the last 99 years or you joined last week, you're just as much a part of the family as when we first began and as when I first preached this message. And so my desire today as we look at this message, as we look at Acts chapter 20 and verses 17 through 38 and what I'm entitling Paul's farewell address, as we may see aspects or observations. This is not an exposition of this text, as is my practice. What we will make are some observations of Paul's ministry to the church at Ephesus that we want to be said a First Baptist Church of West Memphis. Acts chapter 20, beginning reading in verse 17, hear now the word of the Lord. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, that is Paul, and he called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men twisting, uh, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish you all. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we dive into this text today, I pray that you would speak through this very weak vessel the power of your gospel. I pray that today would not be a, a spotlight on me or on the church, but, F Father, rather it would be a time of encouragement and exhortation for us to live lives that are worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, lives that are worthy of the sacrifice that you have made for us. This is your church purchased by your own blood 
So speak to your church today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. I didn't read the text in its entirety today. We'll look at it piece by piece in just a moment. But Paul is traveling right now towards Jerusalem. He knows that this will be the last time that he sees those elders of the church of Ephesus. And what a sweet ministry Paul had enjoyed in that city. What a sweet ministry, how he had seen people come to know the Lord and serve him. And Paul was concerned with their welfare and their well-being and how they would continue despite Well, in all likelihood, he thought, despite his going on to be with Jesus, he knew that all that awaited for him in Jerusalem was pain and affliction. And so he summons the elders of the church of Ephesus together, and he gives them one last message. And in this, I believe we see some observations made of Paul's ministry that we want to be said of our ministry together in West Memphis, in Crittenden County, and across the world. Read with me in verse 18. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. You know, what was said of Paul's ministry and what I want to be said of our church together is that we do ministry in the moment. Ministry in the moment. That's when ministry is done. It's done in this moment. Ministry cannot be done in the past. You know, we often look to the past and see all of the wonderful things that God has done for us in the past. And after all, my friends, in your car, you'll notice a a small mirror uh, right in the center of your uh, windshield or there at the top of your windshield. And it is very helpful for you when you're driving to look in the rearview mirror and see what's going on behind you. It's really important here where we live to be looking in the rearview mirror, but... If you are always driving with just your eyes in that rearview mirror, you're going to get in an accident. What Paul has shown for us, what he illustrates with his life is that ministry is done in the moment. We've been given this one moment. And if you're in here and you've, uh, you've uh, gone a couple of trips around the sun and, and you've seen life, you know how quick these moments go by. And how quickly they just seem to fly away. And you you look back in your life. Do you ever look back and wish you would have done something different? Have you heard someone before maybe ask, ask you or ask someone else, if you could go back and change anything in your life, would you do anything different? And some people say no. And I think that's pretty ridiculous. There are a million things that I would do different if I could go back in time. But we can't do ministry back in time. We can look at it and see God's faithfulness. As a matter of fact, in February, when we celebrate our centennial celebration, what we're doing is briefly, we're looking into the rearview mirror and we're seeing God's faithfulness as we keep trucking down the road that God has placed us on. Amen. Ministry must be done in the moment. Ministry cannot be done in the future. We can make plans, but things change. 
We can look forward to see what God is going to do, but we cannot do ministry there. Ministry is done here in this moment, right now, right here in the trenches. And you may say, Josh, you know, right now I don't feel like doing ministry. I need a vacation from ministry. My friends, there's plenty of time for spiritual vacation in heaven. We're going to spend an eternity with Jesus. I want you to know you've been given a brief time. The Bible says that our life is like a vapor. Time passes like that. You and I have been given this brief moment. And God has placed us, much like Queen Esther, he has placed us here for such a time as this. God has not abandoned us, his people, He promised us he would be with us, his people, forever and ever to the end of the age. And we are to be faithful, to do ministry in this moment. You may be tempted to say, well, I can't can't do ministry at this time. I can't serve at this time. I I need to devote this time to myself, my friends. I want to encourage you to always spend time with the Lord. But you've been given this brief time. To serve the Lord, what was true of Paul's ministry that I want to be said of us together is that we do ministry in the moment. Now, how do you do that, right? Well, it begins when you see every day as your mission field, as your opportunity, rather than working for your own comfort in life, trying to stay on your own schedule. You know, sometimes stopping and sharing the gospel with somebody, a lot of times, excuse me, strike that every time stopping and sharing the gospel with someone is more important than what you have on the calendar for that day. Uh, I like as much as I can to be uh, prompt and to be on time. But you know what? Ministry sometimes messes up our schedules. And that's good. Because when you surrendered your life to Christ, you did not surrender to your own schedule. You are not the Lord and master of your life anymore. We're to do ministry in the moment. What would happen if you began to see every day as ministry? I want to use my attitude for ministry. I want people around me to see that there's something different about me. I want to care about them. I want to listen to them. I want to hear what they have to say. I want to share the gospel with them. What if you said, I want that to reflect in the way that I drive? I want to reflect that in my work ethic. I want to reflect that by what I watch on TV or what I scroll past on Facebook or Twitter. What if you saw every moment as ministry? Now, if you're like me, you have failed in that regard. I have failed more times than I care to count in that regard. But what we have right now is not yesterday or tomorrow. What we have is right now. Paul said, from the first time that I stepped foot in Asia, I was among you the whole time. Paul believed in ministry in the moment, fully invested. But secondly, I want you to see with me in verse 19, what can be said of Paul's ministry is that there was service with a purpose. Verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Yes, Paul believed in service with a purpose. Notice with me the, 
the object of Paul's service. The object of Paul's service is uh, very specific here. You see, as pastor and as church member and as Christian, my primary uh, uh, priority in service is not to you. And your primary and priority of service is not to me or to one another. What does Paul say here? Serving the Lord. Serving the Lord was Paul's first priority before he served others. So many churches today or organizations that have the name church on them have become subpar community centers. Their first focus is on serving one another, and they may appear to do it well. They may offer every ministry uh, that is applicable to every uh, avenue of life that you go through. They may have the best food pantry, the best clothes closet. They may have the best benevolence, the best singles ministry. They may have the best in every one of those ministries, but if you're not serving Christ first, you're missing the mark. Serving one another is great, but you can only truly Truly serve one another if you are first serving Christ. Now, here's how this happens so often in church. We begin to just serve one another. We, we take out God. We begin to just serve one another. And then we get irritated with one another. And then we get burnt out. And we don't want to serve anymore. Right? We don't want to serve anymore in any capacity because we're tired and we're worn out. And that's because we've been serving one another and not serving him first. We ought to serve God first, and then we can only, and then and only then can we serve one another. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, but seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. My friends, if we aim to seek God first and serve God first in all that we do, then we're going to find that we'll be successful at serving one another the way that God has designed us to serve one another. Amen. That's Paul's ministry, service with a purpose. The object of Paul's service is God. The method of Paul's service is not what's going to be preached from any uh, pulpit that wants to bring people in. But notice what he says in verse 19. He tells the Ephesian church, we serve the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. If you had a top 10 list of things that people don't want in church or people don't want in life, it's humility and tears and trials. As a matter of fact, you've probably worked a good piece of your life and you've given a lot of effort to avoid all three of those things. It's the unholy trinity of what people want in their lives. You don't want humility. We want pride. We want people to look at us and say, look at how good they are. Look at how wealthy they are. Look at how smart and talented they are. We don't want tears. We want smiles. We want joy. We don't want to be frowning. And uh, so much of churches have focused just on that today. We don't, we don't want trials. We want smooth sailing. We want, we want things that are easy but the method of Paul's service was through humility and tears and trials. My friends, we ought to long for humility. Amen. Humility in our life. Humility is not a piling up of untrue and useless insults. It's not 
self-defacing. It's not just saying bad things about yourself. That's false humility. Humility is merely recognizing our place, not being puffed up or inflated with pride. Paul's service to the God's people was marked by humility, always counting others as more important than himself. Paul says in Corinthians that he did not uh, uh, come to the Corinthian church with clever or persuasive speech, but in weakness and the power of the gospel was portrayed. Paul's desire was to be humble and for God's church to be humble. Christ's desire for us is to be humble. You think about what Jesus did? He left heaven's throne. He left the joys of heaven and he humbled himself. And if you're ever wondering, man, can I really, do I, do I really need to just uh, be out of the limelight here? Do I need to be off the spotlight and, and humble myself? If Jesus has done it, it's a command for all of us to be humble, to practice humility. Paul says his ministry was filled with humility. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful uh, that I serve in a church that this is prominent against all uh, this is prominent amidst all of the people that I uh, respect and love. Humility is there. But Paul said that his ministry was filled with tears and trials. Uh, we're going to have trials. You know, when God's working amongst us, the enemy's going to be working as well. Have you been through trials in your life? Have we been through trials together? My friends, the Bible says that all those who wish to live a godly life will endure persecution. Amen. Psalm 34, verse 19 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. When someone tells you on TV or a preacher says that if you come to Jesus, all of these troubles are going to go away, they're telling you the wrong thing. Troubles plague the life of a believer. But we hold on to the promise and the truth that what God has to provide for us is better than what the world has to offer us. And that through each trial and difficulty that goes on in our life, though we don't understand it, somehow, somehow God is working it out for our good and for his glory. I, I preach today to friends who are going through trials right now. You've been through difficulties in your life, and you've wept over your loved ones who've been sick and who've passed away. We've wept over those friends and family members who are lost and don't know uh, the Lord. We go through those difficult times together, but can I assure you of the promise that we see in Genesis and we see all throughout the New Testament? Remember Joseph? Remember how hard Joseph's life was? He went to being, uh, the, from being the favorite son in his family to being a slave. And then he went from being a slave to a prisoner. And then he went from being a prisoner to a forgotten prisoner. And then after all of that, when God finally brought him up from that prison and provided for Israel so that he would maintain the lineage of the Messiah, when all of Joseph's brothers who threw him under the bus and down in the pit and sold him into slavery, when all of them gathered around him to try to earn his favor, he said, brothers, 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 I may not have understood it then, but I know it now. What you meant for evil... 
God meant for good. And you may say, Josh, I don't understand how this trial can be that way. And you're right. I've not been through what you've been through. And I'm not standing in the shoes that you're standing in. But I can promise you based upon God's word that there's going to be a day when we look back and we're going to go, oh. Amen. You, you knew all along. I didn't understand but God does. Paul had a ministry that was filled with tears and trials. He had a ministry that had a service with a purpose. Thirdly, what, I, what is said of Paul's ministry in verses 20 and 26 through 27, I want to be said of us over the years to come, standing on the Scripture, standing on the Scripture. Verse 20, Paul says, How I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. And again in verse 26, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. For Paul, ministry wasn't self-help. It wasn't how can you be a better church member? How can you be a better father or mother or husband or wife or worker? It wasn't teaching people how to make money or how to get wealthy or how to make sure you had food on your table. For Paul, the primary focus of his ministry was the Word of God. Standing firm on the Word of God. That ministry was paramount to him. And as a church, I want that to continue to be said of us that we're standing on the Scripture. Like Martin Luther, we say, God says it. We're not going to step back from it. Here we stand. We can have no other. It doesn't matter what the world says to us. I was talking with a family member in the last couple of weeks. I hadn't met them or hadn't, had not seen them in several years. And they had asked about, well, what, is, what are the Baptists going to do uh, uh, when it comes to all of the craziness that's going on in the world today with regards to sexuality and all that, what, is, what, is the, what are the Baptists going to do? And so we began to talk about standing on God's Word. And then uh, she said, but what, what are you going to do if, if there's penalty for it? And, you know, I just hadn't thought of it before. I just assume that we're just going to stand on God's Word. But as I was meditating on that question later, I said, you know what? God taught us to fear God and not man. Amen. And so you know what? As God's church, we're going to stand on His Word no matter what. If the world says it's wrong and God says it's right, we're going to follow Him. Right. We're going to be with Him. We're going to stand on His Word there's not an area in the 21st century that the Bible does not address. Sin and death and sorrow are the pains of mankind from the beginning until now. And the Bible alone has the answer for us. It has, contains the gospel for us to proclaim to a lost and dying world. Now, I've been here six years. I've preached more duds than I have preached studs. Let me tell you, there's times I've gotten down from the pulpit and I've told Sarah, I've done my best to walk back there and get away from everybody because I don't, I 
can't look you in the eye after I just preached that sermon. I can't believe how embarrassed I must be at, the, at how I didn't convey exactly how I wanted to convey that word. But there's one thing for sure. I've made it my attempt every single Sunday that I've stepped in God's uh, in this pulpit, and that is to proclaim God's word. And I may have done it inefficiently at times. I may not have done it perfectly at times. But there's one thing for sure is that we have made it a priority long before I was here, and I pray long afterwards that God's word will be our foundation. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, the Bible says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. For Paul, standing on the scripture was incredibly important. It was the foundation. And there'd be some preachers today who would even say, our focus ought not to be the authority of scripture, but the gospel. But I would have you know that if the scripture carries no authority, there is no gospel or good news. That's why for us, saying that this is God's word and that it is without error that it is infallible, is an essential doctrine for us. And I can disagree with other people and love them, but I cannot fellowship biblically with them unless we say that this is God's holy word. We stand here, we have no other. Paul stood on God's word. He preached from the Old Testament, he proclaimed the gospel. He said that Christ died in accordance with the scriptures. It's rooted in God's word, and we are to stand on God's word. And by the way, it's not just for preachers, by the way. You ought to be meditating on God's word, hiding God's word in your heart. And when push comes to shove, you need to stand up for God's word wherever you are. Amen. Amen. This is what God's word says. I don't have to wait for my preacher to say it. It doesn't have to be said behind the pulpit. Stand on God's word. Fourthly, an obligation to tell. An obligation to tell. All right, we need to get moving here. Verse 21 and 26 through 27, Paul says, I was testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then again in verse 26, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. What must be said of First Baptist Church of West Memphis is not only that we stand on God's word, but that we go out and we proclaim the gospel. We have a solemn obligation to tell the world about Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done for us. Lost, and by the way, let me correct some bad theology here today. Lost people don't go to hell because you don't share the gospel with them. We're all condemned to hell because of our own sin. But how dare God's church know the answer? How dare God's church know the, the way to escape hell and punishment? And how dare we know how to have peace with God and we keep it to ourselves? And we say, you know what? I don't want to offend so-and-so. By the way, let me just tell you something. Preachers have said it, and, and I've mocked them for saying it before, but I'll say it now, and I mean it. You can't offend a dead person. Yeah. 
If they're lost and separated from Christ, you can't push them any further into damnation than they already are. It is our goal to proclaim the gospel without compromise and to share it with them as someone who loves them and wants to see them saved. What is the gospel, you may ask? The gospel is clear. Paul says it here, and it's over and over again in the Bible. Repent and believe. There is no salvation outside of repentance. And there is no belief without repentance, no true repentance without belief. There are those who would proclaim a gospel void of repentance. It's a a void, it's, excuse me, a love void of sacrifice, but not us. Jesus isn't something you try. He's not the stand at the end of the aisle in Sam's with the, you try this and see if you want to go buy the whole packet. It's repent and believe. That's the call of God. Repent and believe. You give God just a piece of your life, you won't have any of him. You say, God, I want you to be my savior, but I don't need a Lord. You don't have either. The Bible says that the gospel is repentance and belief. What did John the Baptist preach? Repent and believe. What did Jesus preach? Repent and believe. What does the Bible command to the world and to the church but to continually repent and believe? Paul said that was his ministry in Ephesus. I preached repentance and belief. He did not want to waste one second, one opportunity. And so I say to us today, if our neighbors wish to run headlong into the fires of hell, let it be through our interlocked arms. And if they wish to jump over us, to jump into the the, the pit of hell, would would it be over our outstretched hands? And should they gouge and tear at us and scream at us and curse us and yell at us, don't let go of the grip. We're the only thing holding on to them. We ought to be those who proclaim the gospel. The time is too short. The stakes are too high. Our Savior is so great. As a church, we have to be those who proclaim the gospel, who share the gospel. We have an obligation to tell. Paul said he could not help it. He had to tell. When's the last time you felt a need, an obligation in your heart to share the gospel? We have a a thing on Sunday nights, several teams, go teams, where you can sign up to go to 8th Street Mission or several other places. I won't list them all off here all right now. You have several opportunities to go out and share the gospel with other members of First Baptist Church of West Memphis. A small portion of our church uh, enjoys uh, volunteering there. I think that you would if you gave it a chance, and you should talk to me after service or uh, talk to one of our staff members. We'll get you signed up for a Go Night team. But my real question, one of the reasons why we do Go Nights is to encourage people as they share the gospel together, to go home and share it when you're just by yourself. Share it when you're just you and your neighbor, you and a friend, a coworker, a family member. When's the last time that you had an obligation in your heart to share the gospel with someone? Now, you may have thought it, but I want to encourage you to let it be said of us, what was said of Paul, that he didn't waste 
a moment. He wanted to share the gospel with all those around him. As a matter of fact, he says that he is innocent of the blood of all. Can you say that? I can't. I wish that I could. I've shared with, from, I've shared with you from this pulpit and the many times that I failed in that area. Paul says he's innocent of the blood of all. Let, it, let us make it our drive from this point forward to be innocent of the blood of all and to share the gospel with all of those who God brings to our path. Now, finally, we've reached here at the very end. In verse 22 and then, uh, excuse me, in verse 22 through 25, we see what can be said of Paul's ministry that I want to be said of our ministry together is that Paul laid it all on the line. He laid it all on the line. And now behold, Paul says in verse 22, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city the imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You know what the problem with the church is today? We don't lay it all on the line. The gospel, God, his word, we say, Lord, your master, but then we have these little areas in our lives that we still want to be kings over these areas. We still want to be queens over these areas and, and maintain them. But you see, if Paul, he says, I don't count my life of any value. I lay it all on the line. I don't count my life as precious, only that I may finish my course. Paul could do this because there were only two days in Paul's calendar. There was this day, and there was that day. And he lived every this day as if he was going to have to answer on that day. And let me tell you something, friends. The same thing is true of us. You and I are going to answer for everything we say and do. If you're a believer here today, you've been covered by the blood of Jesus. You have been forgiven, but you're still going to stand before God at, his, at the judgment seat of Christ. And you're going to answer for what you've done in the body. And my question to us is, have we made it worth it? Have we laid it all on the line? Have we counted the gospel as more important than our reputations? Have we counted Jesus as more important than our time? Have we counted him as more important than our other preferences? For Paul, a quality that is dominant in his ministry is that he laid it all on the line. And I know you're saying, Josh, this is Paul. This is the single greatest Christian to have ever existed and to live the Christian life. And to you, I'd say, it's not supposed to be that way. You and I have something that Paul didn't have accessible to him. We got all of God's word here together, but do, you, do we cherish it? Would we rather be entertained? Would we rather preoccupy our time or to distract ourselves from life rather than to spend time with God? Would we rather live for our own comfort or for his glory? What Paul said of his life, I want it to be said 
of our lives. Because one day, we're going to stand before him. And what's past is past. But from this moment, from this moment forward, let me encourage you, church, to join me in asking God, Lord, help me to lay it all on the line. I know my life doesn't reflect it in every regard, but help me to lay everything on the line for your glory. Thank you for listening to First Importance. It is our prayer that you have been blessed by this podcast. We welcome you to join us in person for worship at First Baptist West Memphis on Sundays at 1045 a.m., where our desire is to love God, care for one another, and share the gospel. Thank you.